Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 24 to 29, but I'll be focusing the topic of study on verse 28. And this indeed is a day of the Lord's kindness in my life. It's such a thrill to be here among God's people, being celebrated and received by you all. And I can't help but think of what a joy it is to come into this church every Sunday and every Wednesday, how much delight it is to see our young people serving the Lord, honoring Him. And so I am so thankful to be here, and it brings a smile to my face. And it's a delight and a privilege to open God's Word with you as we read Him speak to us through His life-giving Word, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for ministers of the gospel. Father, we are thankful for the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Lord, as an instruction to this Church here in Colossae, Lord, that they might not stray from the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you show us that and make it clear in this evening. We pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as Jordan mentioned in earlier days and weeks, that this sermon is to be the Miller Inaugural, uh, which really is a sermon that I lay out my philosophy of ministering to the next generation. And I suppose there is no greater verse that has influenced the way I view ministry than Colossians 128. A few years ago when I was a student in college, a Bible college, uh, I was exposed to uh, much, many different philosophies of ministry, many of them being sound, but very many of them also being based upon seeker-sensitive driven models the kinds of models of ministry that focused on using technology and different mediums to reach the next generation, saying that if we don't use certain mediums of technology, we'll never be able to reach the next generation. And so I struggled with that. I kind of thought through it and thinking, there's got to be something more than this. It was kind of a Charlie Brown moment with Christmas. There's got to be more to Christmas than just materialism. For me, there had to be more to ministry than just contextualization, to just reaching people and trying to seek and attract people. And then I remember being handed a little blue book by my church at the time called Discipling. And in the very first few chapters, the author lays out the biblical blueprint for ministry, for discipling. And it was in that chapter 
that he cited, Colossians 1, 28 through 29, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. When I saw that verse, I underlined it probably three or four times, and I wrote in the margin, that's it. And it was revolutionary to me. It was probably obvious to many of you now. To me, as a 20-year-old, that was mind-blowing. That this is what ministry is about, proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. That the Apostle Paul says, I declare to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And if you scan the vast amount of literature related to youth ministry, ministering to the next generation, you'd probably find that many of those manuals start with studies about how the next generation is altogether different than previous ones. Altogether different, that they've been raised on social media, they've been raised on technology, the iPad, the TV in front of them. And so we have to invent new methods to reach those young ones. Well, of course, not very many youth ministry manuals would start with Colossians 1.28. And I think that's a good way to start. Because the ordinary way that Christ grows His people is through His Word, through the sacraments, it's through prayer. And the ordinary way that God grows His people in Jesus Christ, His young people in Jesus Christ, is the same. It's no different. We need the exact same thing because the problem is still the same. We are all sinners and we need Jesus Christ. And so this is a method for everyone, as you can see just here in verse 28. We warn everyone. We teach everyone. The young and the seasoned. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so that's what I want us to see this evening as I bring out three different words from this text. Pretty simple Pretty straightforward. Proclaiming, warning, and teaching. With God's help, that's what I want to do in this church. That's what I want to be as a minister of the gospel. A proclaimer of Christ. A warner of sin. And a teacher of the the riches of of the scriptures. And so first, we see Paul say in verse 28, Him we proclaim. Now, a question that I would likely ask on a Wednesday night would be, who is the him? And of course, the kids would shout out, the youth would shout out and say, it's Christ, it's the Savior, it's the Lord of glory, it's our great prophet, priest, and king. And they are absolutely right. For Paul, the apostolic ministry consists in these three words, him we proclaim. And what I love about the book of Colossians is that it's a book of Paul doing exactly that. Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is the head of the church. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is the one whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of of all rule and authority. And what I get to do, and I must do with the youth, is proclaim Christ. 
proclaim his person as God of God, light of light, the eternal and beloved Son of the Father, Christ who for our salvation became man and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who is gentle and lowly, whose heart is full of compassion for sinners. He was the one who did not cast out the little children, but said, to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And while he was brought to a low condition here on earth and died a humiliating death, in his resurrection and ascension to the Father, he is given the name above all names, the name Christ Jesus, Lord of all, to which every knee must bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We proclaim him. And friends, there's no greater joy of mine than to simply lift up to our students, to our young people, and say, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he a wonderful Savior? Is his blood not enough to cover every one last of your sins? He's sufficient for you. And isn't he worth devoting all of your life at this early age to glorifying him? That's what I get to do. That's what I must do. We proclaim Christ to the next generation. There's a book that served as a wake-up call to so many pastors and parents uh, that was called Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, in which a sociologist kind of laid out his findings of the religious lives of, of different people in America, especially the teenagers. And he came up with the term to describe the spiritual state of most teenagers. And he called it moralistic therapeutic deism, which means that God is altogether far removed, and yet he dispenses to people just simple morals on how to have a good life, how to be a good person. And in the therapeutic sense, he's just there for when you're having a bad day. And that's what he found in American religion. I pray that that wouldn't be found here at Redeemer that each one of these students would say that, that Christianity is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's about finding life in Him, salvation in Jesus Christ, because there's no hope without Him. There's no hope without His death, burial, and resurrection, and there is no me being good without Christ. So that's my desire, that the students would know that we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it's done through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. First thing he thinks about is warning. How does that proclamation get done? It gets done through warning. And Paul's ministry was a ministry of encouragement, but it included warning. Warning about the dangers of sliding away. Warning about false teaching. Warnings about worldliness. It's all essential to any ministry of the gospel. And certainly, in this age of deconstructing your faith, of rethinking Christianity, making it more palatable to the world, there's much need for warning of even our young people. They must be warned because many of these students will go off to a college. They'll face a professor who attacks their faith relentlessly. They'll be in a culture where godliness is not prized. 
So they must be warned about the dangers of the world, warned about the dangers of sin. And of course, sin out in the world is a problem that we must warn against. But we also want to warn about the sin that's found in each one of their hearts. Anytime someone walks away from the faith, you can often ask, it's not necessarily what argument convinced them to leave the faith, but it's what sin did they want? What sin is it that you love that you want to abandon Christ for it? And that requires warning because sin is appealing, it's enticing. The lies of the devil, the lies of the world, the lies of our own hearts is always trying to draw us away from Christ and a gospel minister must warn against it. And a text I will often point to as a great warning for young people comes from Hebrews 3.8 and 12. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The wonderful thing about growing up in the church, it's a wonderful thing. We should thank God for it. But there's also a danger with that. Because you have to do something with the truth. That when you are faced and encountered with biblical revelation, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no neutral response to it. Either it's going to be to your own betterment or it'll be to your own damnation. And so we have to think about these students. What are you doing with the truth today? Today, you can't put Christianity off for another day. You can't think maybe 30 years down the road, okay, fine, then I will be a Christian. No, what are you doing with Christ today? And Thomas Boston captures this well. The more frequently holy things go through men's hands and do not make them better, they harden them the more. And so a ministry of the gospel warns. The ministry of the gospel also teaches, as you see Paul say again in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul made it his aim to teach with all wisdom so that he might present everyone mature in Christ. The gospel ministry is about teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God as we heard this morning. Not being satisfied with a shallow understanding, but filling the mind with truth so the heart may be set ablaze for Christ. And I'm thankful to be at a church that values sound doctrine, that values theology. Because I find it one of the most disheartening things when thinking about the youth, that we have to just water everything down. We just have to make it so low that a child, of course, can grab it. But there's much hope here in the teaching of young people. Their minds are bright. We can fill their heads with theology, not to make them prideful and puffed up Presbyterians, but to make them faithful servants of Jesus Christ. So we teach the Scriptures. We preach the Scriptures. We proclaim Christ in them. And we get down deep in theology, I think it's my greatest goal with these students is to make them convinced Presbyterians. By the time they walk out, they graduate high school and they're looking for a church uh, next to their college or wherever they work, that they look for a Presbyterian church. 
a church that is Westminsterian through and through. Because we know that this is the truth as God has revealed it in the Scriptures. We want love for Jesus, but we want a mind that's on fire for God. A few weeks ago, we finished a Sunday school series on knowing God, which really turned out just to be a systematic theology 101. And I'll tell you, I was amazed and astounded by the level of engagement with somewhat complicated ideas of theology. But I have students come up asking questions afterwards all the time about predestination, about election. They were engaged, they were, in, they were interacting with it, they were thinking about it. And the truth is, if these students can learn quadratic equations in algebra or how the cell develops in science class, they can and must learn about the hypostatic union. They can and must learn about election, of justification, sanctification. Because if we fill their minds with truth, we can then ask God to bless it with His Spirit, to set them ablaze for Jesus Christ. And I'm just astounded constantly by students coming up after youth group asking questions, why do we baptize children? Of course, those are questions you as parents hear all the time. Uh, questions that they're thinking through because they may know someone at their school that's a committed Baptist and they want to see if they can convince them. And this is a wonderful thing to see God at work among our young people. Something that I cherish, something that I enjoy and love. This is what I want to do because it's beautiful. Christ is great, Christ is wonderful, and we ought to learn Him deeply. So as we begin to close, I have three requests of this congregation as I seek to minister to the next generation. The first is to pray for me. As for the same, Paul, same prayer as the Apostle Paul does later in this letter, that God would open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ and that I would make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That God would grant me with clarity of teaching these students. This is an important age. I need to deliver the truth with clarity, but also pray that I would be exercised into godliness, as Thomas Boston puts it. For I do not only give these students my teaching, but I give them my life. I want to set a pattern, a way of life that they can model, that they can look up to and say, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. So I ask that you pray towards that end that God would give me his spirit to help me. Second, pray for these students and their parents. This is a tough age. Maybe the hardest years of raising kids is the teenage years. Uh, but pray for these students by name. Use the church directory. We know that while the parents may plant the seeds of faith, and maybe I can come along and water, God must give the increase. And so, as a church, we must be committed to pursuing prayer because God is the one who is at work. God is the one who gives life. We pray that they would make Christ Jesus their own. Pray that for these students, that they would walk in godliness, that they would remember their baptism, and that they would be kept safe from the evil one. This is... Good place to start with praying for our young people. And you know, it's, it's quite an amazing thing when you think about the great revivals of history. When God, in a spectacular or surprising way, is at work. 
It's often through young people. This was what I communicated with the students just a few weeks ago. That God will often invigorate his church, make it a more lively and dependent upon godliness kind of church by doing something among the young people. You see that in Jonathan Edwards' faithful narrative of surprising conversions, where he recounts all of these young people, real young, even five, six years old, being lit afire, ablaze with love for Christ, and it just stirring up one another to good works, even older people. And that's something we should all pray for, that God would do a work among these young people, that they would love Christ and seek to make him known among all nations. And lastly, I want to encourage you all to know the youth in this church, to know them. You know the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child, and the same statement could be applied to the church. It takes a church to raise a mature disciple. The last thing that I would want our youth to think is that youth group on Wednesday nights is for them, but the rest of the church is really for adults. This whole church is for them. And so it's good to have older brothers and sisters in the faith, getting to know them, being impacted by examples. I remember when I was just a young lad, much, much younger than many of the students I minister to. Uh, I'm still a young lad, I guess I should say. I feel older. Um. <laughs> there was a man at my church, his name was Louis Heitfeld. Now, Louis was well past 90 years old, and every time I would see him at church, I knew what he was going to do. He was going to come up to me and give me a wet, slobbering kiss on my forehead. And for a while, I would resist it. I hated the idea of that. But then, soon after, I realized this man does this because he loves me. This church is for me. Christ is for me. That's what we want our young people to walk away with when they hit 18 or much older. That Christ is for them. Christ and Him crucified for their life, for their salvation. Jesus and only Him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the gift of Christ. Lord, for it is without him that we have no hope in this world. Oh, Lord, would you make us a people that eagerly desires to make him known, to proclaim him together, teaching and warning everyone so that we may become a people that is mature in Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen.